Last week, I was up here on stage with a Band-Aid on my face. Now, if you missed it, you, missed, you just missed it. Father's Day uh, really felt like God spoke to us as a church. But during that message, I was a little bit distracted by a Band-Aid on my face. And you say, why do you have a Band-Aid on your face? Well, the reason I had a Band-Aid on my face is because I had a spider bite on my face. And Suzanne booked an appointment with an urgent care. And after a church, we went there, had an appointment at one o'clock. And so I was convinced that I had spider bite because I had this mark on my face. It was getting black. It was getting black under my skin. It was growing out of my skin. I had this rash that was around my face. I had this uh, this rash that was breaking out around my neck and this side of the body. I did some research and I, I was just thinking, well, maybe something hit me. No, the more research I did, I got bit by a spider. And so Saturday night, late Saturday night, last week, I was up just going, what is this thing? And so I was convinced that a brown recluse bit me on my face. And it looked just like it. And I did all research, and, and, and even with the brown recluse, you get like this rash and all these mump kind of things on your face and wherever the bite is. And the bite looked just like, you know, the progression of a, of a brown recluse spider bite. And so we, we went to the urgent care after church. And so we were sitting there, and our daughter, Madison, she's at a camp. She's working at an adventure camp. She's majoring in outdoor leadership. Well, she has access to people who know about, you know, all kinds of outdoor bites. And so I, I took a picture of my face and this bite, and I sent it to my daughter. and said, what is this? And she sent back, she says, Dad, that is a bite of a brown recluse. And so we're like going, no way. So we're sitting there, and confirmation is there. We're sitting there in the waiting room, Suzanne and I. We're looking up pictures. I don't know if you've ever done that. If you ever look up pictures of the effects of a brown recluse, it's not pretty at all. It's awful. Leaves holes in your, you know, in your face or wherever the bite is, and it, your, your skin decays, falls off. It's like leprosy, and then you, you have to get surgery to fix it, and it's just not good at all. So we're sitting there just bummed. I'm like, what am I going to do? I mean, people are telling me that it takes like six months to, for that to, to clear up, and then you have to have surgery. So we go to the doctor's office, and, you know, the lady's taking, taking my, my blood pressure. Of course, it's through the roof because I'm like going on. I'm going to, you know, die from this brown recluse spider bite, you know. And then so the doctor comes in, and, and Suzanne and I, at least I am, totally convinced that I had got bitten by a brown recluse. And Suzanne is just over there praying. She's just praying against it. She goes, I don't believe it. I'm just praying against it. And I'm just thinking, okay, what is the next six months going to look like? You know, what am I going to do? Or like what, you know, I'm looking up surgeons who could do, you know, a surgery on the face. You know, all this kind of stuff. The doctor comes in and he introduces himself. And I say, you know, doctor, I appreciate you walking into the room. I appreciate you seeing me today. But I've already done a lot of research and I'm just gonna let you know that this is a spider bite from a brown recluse, and I'm going to die. <laughs> and he just goes, <clears throat> all right. And he just begins to get some supplies, and, and I was like, so what are we gonna do? 
about this spider rat. I just don't know. And so he walks over there and gets some rubbing alcohol and this white cloth, and he leans me back and just begins pressing hard on this spider bite. And just a matter of 60 seconds, he shows me a mirror and that black smudge is gone. And I'm like, how did you do that? I mean, I thought these things take forever, these spider bites. And he looked at me and says, Mr. Bennett, I guarantee you 100% this is no spider bite. And I'm like, really? I mean, it's supposed to be a spider bite. Of course, Suzanne's going, thank you, Jesus. And so he's like, no, what had happened is, is that you got into some poison ivy when you were working in the yard and you had got a puncture wound from a branch or a twig or something that had poison ivy on it and it's in your skin and it's having all these effects. And that black spot was just dried blood. <laughs> so, I, so I was like, okay. I didn't know whether to be sad that I was wrong or happy that I didn't have a brown recluse spider bite. You know, I mean, it's almost like the doctor was out to prove me wrong. And even the afterwards, I was like, maybe he's just, you know, maybe he's a little bit prideful that I'm like coming in and telling him what it is before he even sees it. And no, I mean, so he get, loads me up with steroids, get a steroid shot, gives me some steroid, a uh, week of steroids and, and gives me some information on how to do all that and everything. And, uh, and it's, it's much better, obviously, my spider bite. But I was so arrogant coming into that doctor's office, telling the doctor before he even saw me, hey, doctor, uh, you don't even have to look at me. I, I have self-diagnosed this problem, and it is a spider bite, and bad things are gonna happen to me. Have you ever done that in an area in your life? Have you ever, have you ever sort of self-diagnosed an issue in your life? Maybe, maybe it's a, whatever issue it is, relational or health, or maybe something like, like my situation you're in, and you sort of over-diagnose, and then you tell the professionals how it's all gonna go down. Maybe you walk into a counselor, a marriage counselor, and say, all right, here's the deal, here's the problem, here's how we're gonna fix it, all right, and uh, when's the next appointment? Whenever the counselor's like, ease on down, it's okay. And allow the professionals to do their job. How many times do we do, do, we do that with God? How many times do we go to God and say, God, all right, here's a problem, and here's how it happened, and here's how it needs to be fixed. I appreciate you being God, appreciate you just kind of being there for me, but I kind of got this. I've already self-diagnosed this. How many times have we done that with God? Man, I've, I've done that a few times in different areas. And I've even done that financially as well. I've done that with our finances. I've done that in a way to where I was like, okay, God, I'm self-diagnosing this problem and, um, and this, is how, this is how we're gonna fix it. So God, you just kind of you know, be off at a distance you know, we'll still tithe, we'll still give you, you know, what we need to give you, and you know, our 10%, we're faithful in that. And if we aren't, by the way, if you aren't careful with that, tithing can just end up being just a bill pay. 
mindset and not an offering, so be careful of that. But sometimes we put God off and we say, God, we've got this under control. Well, when we do that with our finances, the reason why we do that is because we treasure things with our money and money becomes our master. Money becomes our master. And so today, I wanna talk to you just in this one sermon. We're gonna, we're gonna continue in our characters. You don't wanna miss next week because next week we, have, we start Joshua as Joshua leads the children of Israel into the promised land. Next week, we begin Joshua. And if you're not in a small group, small group's actually studying a, a, uh, a small group studying on Joshua called Sun Stand Still. If you don't have your book, you can get that or order that at Connection Point. But today, I just felt like God wanted us to take, a, take one week break between these characters. And he wants us to look at ways where money becomes something that controls us to the point to where we're so prideful that we don't want really anybody touching that. It's like when I went to the doctor's office, it's almost like I didn't want the doctor to touch my face because I'm like, doctor, I have already diagnosed this problem. And all the while, just like a doctor, God is there going, look, it's not as bad as you think. Allow me to step in. Allow me to help you with whatever the situation is. So when it comes to our finances, there's a couple of scriptures that I wanna focus on today. And one deals with our treasure. Now this first scripture is actually pretty brilliant. Whether you're a Christian or, or not, or you're just searching, this is a scripture that everybody can use. And it's simple, it's Matthew chapter six, verse 21. You have heard this before. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Your, your treasure is your stuff, your money, your things. So whatever our, wherever your treasure is, your heart will follow. Your heart will follow. Whatever, whatever you are excited about all the time, whatever you are, you just feel like you cannot live without. You know, sometimes, you know, maybe like a midlife crisis, you're like, man, I want to get this certain thing, and I want to get this car, I want to, you know, get the pool, or I want to get the house, you know, or whatever, and, and, you, and you latch onto those things, and that becomes your treasure. This week, I've had the awesome privilege of borrowing a friend of mine's car, and it's a convertible Mercedes-Benz. He needed my expedition, and so he's like, Frank, I need your expedition, I was like, well, I'm not gonna drive, you know? He's like, well, you could drive my convertible Mercedes. And I'm like, okay, I'll, I'll gladly do that for you. I will take very good care of your convertible Mercedes. And it's parked out front. And so Suzanne calls it my free midlife crisis because I didn't have to pay for it. It's awesome, it's great. And so I'm driving around, you know, but I'm going to go to withdrawal here probably about tomorrow when I have to trade it in for my expedition. But it's okay. But it's so easy to get attached to those things in life to where they become a treasure to us, to where, to where we treasure them more important than other things. So the problem with treasuring is that 
they become a competition. They become a competition. Let's say, for instance, let me give you an example. A competition with stuff, with our relationships. Say, let's say uh, there's ladies here and, and let's say you've married a guy who, who has certain things that you are not to touch, you know, maybe he has certain possessions, you know, or he's never gonna give up. And at the point to where, okay, honey, um, the, the kids don't have shoes for school. Can, can we sell your, your second Harley Davidson? You know, can we sell that, you know? Or can we sell your gun? Hey, don't touch my gun, you know? And so you got all, all these things where you treasure so much and to where they get in the way and it creates competition between the things that, that really matter, to matter most. And that's just one simple example to where our things, our stuff can become a competition. But what God says is, look, I, I don't want your stuff. I don't need your stuff. I want your heart. I want your heart. I don't wanna compete for your stuff. Because God is saying, look, because I want your heart and your heart tends to follow your stuff, then I want you to surrender all your stuff to me. I want you to surrender all your belongings to me. And what that simply means is this. Lord, I know what I have. You've given me. And so anytime you want to take any of my stuff, it's, it's yours. Anytime you want me to sell it or get rid of it or give it away or whatever, Lord, it is yours. And so I don't want my stuff to compete with you getting my heart. And so, because once you have surrendered all your stuff to God, then you've given God your heart. God says, I don't want your stuff. I'm God, what would I do with all of that? So the first one, scripture, is about treasure. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The second one deals with master. What is your master? In Luke chapter 16, verse 13, it says, no one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Now, it's interesting that he would use God and money. You cannot serve God and money. I've always thought that it would, it would be, you cannot serve both God and the devil. I mean, that wouldn't make a lot of sense. You can't serve God and the devil, or you cannot serve God and this world. But he says, you cannot serve both God and money. It's like, well, we need money to survive. What does that actually mean? So basically what this is, is the conflict you face every day is between God and your stuff. Between God and your stuff. Let me give you an example. When you pray in the morning and you have something like your stuff near you, you know, it's easy for your stuff to get in the way. It's easy for your stuff to get in the way between you and God. 
Um, so whatever stuff that is, it could be a radio on the, uh, on the drive to work. It, it could be a certain hobby or something, that, something you like to do that's just getting in the way. It doesn't have to be a, a tangible stuff. It could be something you do. It could be an action. But the conflict we face every day is between God and our stuff. We are going to have a master in our life. And who is that master? God wants to be the master. Are we going to serve and surrender to God? Are we going to serve God? Or are we going to serve money? And so it's really interesting, as we look at this deeper, Jesus, as we look throughout scripture, nowhere can we find that Jesus is asking for money. Jesus never asks for money. Never asks us for that. Jesus doesn't want to get your money. Jesus just doesn't want your money to get you. Let me say that again. Jesus doesn't want your money. He just doesn't want your money to get you. Jesus doesn't want your stuff. He just doesn't want your stuff to get you, to consume you. It's really important to, to have, that, have that mindset that when we, when we give to God, God's not going, all right, tapping his foot and saying, all right, pay up. That's not, that's not God's mindset at all. And that's not what Jesus is saying because Jesus never asked for money, which means you could trust in him. You could trust in Jesus with that. He just doesn't want your stuff or your money um, to get you. It's sake for, uh, for example, Let's say if, you're, uh, if your marriage has some conflict financially, and let me tell you, financial conflict in marriage is huge. In fact, I believe it's, it's the number one root of, of, of many marriage issues. And so Jesus is saying this, look, if your master is money, then, um, and you approach that in your marriage, then you're going to have continued issues with that. But if you allow me to be your master, if you surrender your treasure to me, if you, um, if you allow me to um, have a say-so in your finances, then you're going to have uh, a better chance of going through some of those rough waters of financial issues in your marriage. And so, you don't want to get to the point to where you're serving your stuff because as a married couple, if you're serving your stuff, then you're always going to have tension in your, in your money because you're serving money and not God. One thing to keep in mind is this. It's all about how you manage your money too. And keep in mind that because all of this money, everything that's, everything that's in your bank account, everything that's in your savings, you know, your retirement, everything. If you have this approach, then it all belongs to God. God has given that to you. So take this approach. You want to be able to manage God's money. You are just a manager of God's money. You want to know where that money's going. It's like God is saying, all right, I need you to manage this for me. Let's say, for instance, if somebody you know, maybe... A, a rich uncle, you know, we always have those, 
those hopes of having a rich uncle who dies and leaves us with a bunch of money we never knew about, you know. And so let's just say if this uncle says, you know, I want you to handle my $5 million estate. I want you to manage that, okay? You can't, can't, really, you can't really take it for yourself, but I just want you to manage it. That's like God telling you, look, the money I've given you, I want you to manage it. It's my money, but I want you to be a manager of it. And so sometimes when we're able to manage, when we say it's God's money, then we'll be able to look at it a little differently and to be able to say, you know what? Um, there's not enough money here to, to, to do certain things, or I believe we can, we can invest money uh, differently or, or whatever, Whether, if you're gonna buy something or go on a vacation or save up or that kind of deal. And so you, you go to, to the owner, the one who owns the money, and you go to the owner, which is God, and you say, hey, God, I feel like we could better manage your money if we could have this, if we could do this. For instance, you may be in a situation like, okay, God, I feel like as a family, it'd be more beneficial and, and it would be better use of your money, God, if, if we were able to um, get rid of this old clunker of a car because it's costing a lot of money and get rid of that and buy something newer. Maybe not a brand new car, but just something newer. And so, God, we're gonna trust in you that, that you can provide that, that, those funds for, for your money. Those funds, those additional funds to where we could better make use of your money because we're just throwing money out the door with this whole clunker. And so as you begin to pray and ask God, Lord, show us, reveal that to us. Uh, what is the step for that? Because it all belongs to you. And so that mindset takes the pressure off of you and especially as a married couple to say, you know what, God, because this is your money, because we're trying to manage it, we need you, please, to provide a way to have more income or a, a way to buy another car or whatever it is. And so there's nothing wrong with going to the, to the owner of the money. There's nothing wrong with going to him and saying, God, what, what can we do here? And so I wanna encourage you to manage, when you manage money, to manage God money, not your money. And so another way to manage God's money is, manner it, is to manage it with honor. We, we have a story in, the, in the First Chronicles where King David, King David is at sort of a place in his, his kingdom career where all of his enemies are at rest. He has defeated his enemies and he's at a place where he's, his kingdom is thriving. It's one of the it's one of the best kingdoms around. People are coming from all across the world just to take a glimpse of the mighty kingdom of Israel. And there is King David on the throne. And so King David looks and he notices the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant was something that, that Moses built uh, while uh, in the desert and, and in the Ark of the Covenant, there's some items in the, in the Ark of the Covenant, like, for instance, the Ten Commandments are in there. And so the Ark of the Covenant was the presence of God. And he noticed that the Ark of the Covenant was sitting out in a tent. And so David said, okay, why is the presence of God in a tent? And I'm in a house. 
Let's build God a great temple. And of course, he, he goes to God, and, and of course, God puts this on his heart. And so he, uh, he begins to tell David the plans for this temple, the, the, the future plans. But he tells David, look, David, um, I would thank you for building a house for me, but you're not gonna be able to build it because you've got too much blood on your hands because he's, he's killed thousands of people in these wars. Even though he's a righteous man and followed God's, God's order and God uh, was obedient to that, he, um, he had too much blood on his hands. He said, I want your son Solomon to build the temple. But get it ready, raise the money, raise the funds, get the plans together, get your architects together and have it ready to go so Solomon, when he's king, he's able to build it. So they, they do that, and so they raise all this money. They have all of these plans lined up, and this passage that we find in First Chronicles tells us the one thing that drives, that could drive us from how to manage and handle our stuff. And we see this in, in First Chronicles chapter 29, verse 10 through 14. And it says this, David praised the Lord in the presence of the whole assembly. So he raised all the money, he's got the plans, saying, praise be to you, Lord, the God of our father Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Yours, Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the majesty and the splendor. We just got through singing a song about that. But everything in heaven and earth is yours, Yours, Lord, is a kingdom. You are exalted as head over all. Wealth and honor come from who? You. You are the ruler of all things. In your hands are strength and power to exalt and to give strength to all. Now, our God, we give you thanks and praise your glorious name. But who am I and who are my people that we should be able to give as generously as this? Everything comes from you, and we have given you only what comes from your hand. David, in that prayer, gives us a template of how we should manage our money, and he does it with honor. And the key verse, if you can go back to verse 11, the key verse is this, yours, Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the majesty and the splendor for everything in heaven and earth is yours. Yours, Lord, is a kingdom. You are exalted as head over all. The one driving force to how to manage our money is to honor God. We honor God with our money. That is our main driving force. It's kind of like when, when Suzanne and I got married. I said vows to, to my wife. I repeated some some vows and, and uh, meant them, obviously. But I wasn't just saying the vows to my wife and to God. I was also saying the vows to Suzanne's father. Because see, I went to Suzanne's father and I asked him for her hand in marriage. It was a tough conversation. But, you know, I mean, he, he agreed to it. I mean, was it like, oh, I don't know about that, you know. But if you, know her, if you know her father, he's, you know, he's just, you know, doesn't talk much and just, you know, very wise, you know, in his age. And, and, uh, but he listened and uh, he gave me his blessing. And so whenever I asked for Suzanne's hand in marriage, 
I made the fulfillment of that with the vows that I made during our wedding. And it was not only to Suzanne, but it was, it was to her father. I was telling her father, look, I'm going to love your daughter till death do we part. I mean, he wasn't, I don't think he was ever like, hmm, you know, if he could just, if he could just love her about 20% of the time, I'll be okay with that. If he would just take care of her about 50% of the time, I'll, I'll take, I'm good with that. No, he wasn't thinking any of those things because he was like, I believe Frank is gonna take care of my daughter 100% of the time. So it's kind of like, it's kind of like with God, with our, with our finances and how we honor God. We honor God by saying, Lord, we want to honor everything you've given to us. We want to honor and we want to manage your money as an honor to you. Because see, I believe with our tithes and offering, yes, there's a gift that we give, a tithe, the 10%, but I believe we worship God even with how we manage that money what we spend on that money. And so, because we give a 10% and we have a touch of God's holiness, we've brought God into the conversation in our finances. Because of that, then it makes our entire funds, it makes all of our, our finances holy. And so we should treat them with a level of holiness whatever we spend on them. That's why it's important when we tell our kids, you know, when, 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 we're, when we're surfing the internet, you know, we, even though we've got filters all across all of our devices and everything, when you're surfing the internet, you know, or watching something on TV, we wanna make sure, does this bring honor and glory to God? Because not only do we wanna live a life of holiness and purity, but we've spent money on internet. We spent money on movies, we spent money on these things that we do. Are we honoring God because we have spent that money on that? And so when God steps into the picture, it is holy. I'm not married to my wife 10% of the time. I'm not married to my wife 20% of the time. She is involved in my life. She's 100%. She is with me. When God, when we invite God into the picture, into our finances, 100% of our finances should be an offering unto the Lord with how we manage it. Lord, I, I, I would love to spend it on this, but you know, this won't bring honor and glory to you. So I'm going to hold off on this and, and I want to I spend it on the things that you desire, that you desire, that you plan. And so when we spend our money, we need to do it in a way that honors God. Now, you may have a sense of, of fear that may strike within you, you know, to where you're like, well, I, I'm just afraid what God will do with my money. If I give him my money, what will God do? Does God, will God take all of it? Or, or I'm, just, I'm just a little afraid. And, and I understand. There's a little bit of apprehension whenever we give money. I mean, there's apprehension when we give money to our federal government and or even sometimes our local government. It's like, what are you doing with that money? You're a little apprehensive. And so we can have that same mindset with God and we gotta be careful that we don't do so. But 
Let me give you a couple of thoughts that will help ease your mind. If God wanted to take something, he doesn't have to wait for you to surrender it. <laughs> if God wants to take something from you, he doesn't have to wait for you to surrender. God doesn't want to take your money. He doesn't need your stuff. God doesn't want to take something from you. God wants something for you. God wants something for you. He doesn't wanna take something away from you. He wants something for you. How do we know this? Well, we, have, we see the heart of God whenever he sent his son Jesus. With our sin and our sinful way and that separation between us and God, God did not come down to get something for us. He provided us a free gift of salvation. He's giving something to us for free. He's not taking something away. And so same with our money, same with our finances. When we honor God with our finances, God doesn't want to take things away. He can if he wanted to, of course, but he, that's not his nature. God wants to give something to you. And so what does that look like financially? What that looks like is God wants to give you peace of mind. Isn't it great to know that when you manage your, God's money, when you manage God's money and you invite God into that conversation, that, that there's a peace that comes about those finances. So God, uh, your money that you've given me is not gonna be enough to cover the bills of the house that you gave me <laughs> and uh, to fill the car with gas that you gave me. So could, could you help me out with this? See, it, puts, it, it removes some of the pressure off of us and puts it all on God. That's the way God wants it to be ran. God is the owner of it. God is the, is the one who has the money. You are just the manager. You are just the investor of that. And so whenever we approach it like that, we can have assurance and peace knowing that you know, God's gonna take care of it. Of course, according to his great plan and his, and his great design and his timing. And so there's some things that God will give you such as peace of mind. He will also give you wisdom. He will also give you wisdom. He will give you wisdom on how to deal with your finances whenever you bring it before God, whenever you invite God into that conversation. So as we, as we, walk down this road, as you walk down this road in finances and giving, I wanna encourage you, don't give in a way to where um, you're, you're trying to hold on to something. It's like, well, God, this, 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 compartment, this compartment of tithes, this 10%, this is yours, and all this stuff is locked away. You can't really have access to any of that. I wanna encourage you, give your tithe and then invite God into the rest of the conversation, into your budget and manage the money as if it's God's money because guess what? It totally is God's money. Now, you may have been hearing about over the past few weeks about our church wanting to go through sort of a tithe challenge and there are, there are several churches that, 
that you know, may, other churches may have done this. We've, we actually did this a couple of years ago, and we've got some great stories behind that. And so the reason why we do a tithe challenge, I'm gonna tell you the reasons why we don't do a tithe challenge. The reasons why we don't do a tithe challenge is we don't do it just to get, just to get your money. Okay, first of all, as I said earlier, God doesn't need your money. God doesn't want your money. He wants your heart. And neither does Lake Point Church. Okay? We, we're not doing a tithe challenge to increase the budget. We don't give to a budget. We give to a living God. We give freely to a living God. Okay? And so those are the reasons why we're not doing a tithe challenge. The reason why we are doing a tithe challenge is because we want to make sure that our treasure is in the proper location. We want to make sure that wherever our, our treasure is, that's where our heart is also. So where is your treasure? Where is our treasure as a church? And what it does, a tithe challenge will help with that. So what does that tithe challenge look like? A tithe challenge is simply a 90-day giving initiative to where you're given, you're gonna try, I mean, you're gonna just do Man, I just want to experiment with this. I just want to experiment. 10%. That's, that's what the word tithe means. I'm just going to try this out. I'm going to, I'm going to test God. I'm going to see what God does with his money. I'm going to put God's word where his mouth is, you know, where his money where his mouth is. And I'm going to uh, trust in God and just give 10%. Okay? You may be at a place where you, you naturally give 10%, and you've been giving 10% a long time. God may be dealing in your heart. All right, you're really comfortable with that. And so maybe you need to give a little bit more. That's between you and God. I'm not saying that. But it's something that you need to pray about. But one thing regarding tithing, tithing really isn't something we should pray about because it's actually something that God commands us to do. And it's actually something that God is saying, look, uh, if you really trust me, you're gonna trust me with this, uh, this giving aspect. This, this heart of generosity. I, I love this passage in, um, in Malachi. And we've, we've shared some passages, uh, a, a couple of verses from this, but let me read to you the um, more an extended version so you get the context of it. This is the, um, the prophet Malachi, and Malachi is the last prophet uh, that will come onto the scene 400 years before Jesus was born. And so it says this in Malachi chapter three, verses six through 12. It says, I am the Lord, I the Lord do not change. So you, the descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed. Ever since the time of your ancestors, you have turned away from my decrees and have not kept them. Return to me and I will return to you says the Lord Almighty. So let's stop there. God's saying, look, I'm the same yesterday, today, and forever. I don't change. Return to me. If you just return to me, and I'll return to you. Maybe there's some people here today who's like, you know, I need to return to the Lord. How do we return to the Lord? What is one of the first steps we could do that? It says on, but you ask, how are we to return? Next verse. Will, I, will a mere mortal rob God, yet you rob me. Whoa, whoa, God's, God's accusing us of robbing him. All right, this is interesting. But you ask, how are we robbing you? It's a great conversation going on. In tithes and offerings. 
you are under a curse, your whole nation, because you are not, because you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be found in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty. And see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessings that there will not be room enough to store it. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops and the vines in your fields will not drop their fruit before it is ripe, says the Lord Almighty. Then all the nations will call you blessed for yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. Now you may not have any crops that need to be protected, but you do have some things in your life that might need to be protected. You have certain houses, you have certain cars, you have your health, you have lots of things that God is saying, look, I mean, you put those words in there. God is saying, look, the things that, that, that bring life to you, okay, uh, I, I, I'm gonna see to it that they're blessed, that maybe they last longer, okay? That car you have, you know, that's coming up on 350,000 miles, God's saying, man, that's nothing. I could put another 350 on it. That's no problem. And so God, God is saying, look, test me and see if I will not open the floodgates of heaven. And so what I'm asking you to do is to test and approve and to just put God's money where his mouth is because he said it right there in Malachi. Put God's money, because it is God's money, where his mouth is, and test the Lord for the next 90 days. Because the next 90 days, we're all gonna go on a journey. Now, here's what I'm gonna do. And, and just to prove to you, this is not about, this is not about Lake Point Church. This is about you. This is not a, it's not a, I, I'm not even mentioning our future property. This has nothing to do with our future property, the one chair campaign. This is about you experiencing walking in obedience to this. And this is how we return to the Lord. How do we return to the Lord? We give. We give to the Lord. So let me tell you something. If you're a little skeptical, then give to another church. I don't care. Give to another church. Because I, I, I want you to see that so much in your life. And I want you to experience what God wants to do in your life so much. Uh, God's gonna take care of Lake Point Church. God's gonna take care of, of what, what's happening here. But I want you to experience walking in obedience and returning to God so much that it's not about Lake Point Church. It's about what God wants to do through you. Now, obviously I would hope you would give to your church if that's your church family, you know, but it, it, it doesn't matter. You're giving it to God. Now I do say this, you want to give freely and, and to the point to where you're not really sure where totally all that's going. In other words, if you're like, okay, I'll give 10%, Okay, there's a, there's a family member who needs this. And, and so if you could track where your money's going, then your giving is really not for God. Your really giving is for you because it makes you feel good. Do you, does that make sense? When we track our giving to certain things that we can see, oh yeah, look at that, look what I did. Oh, I got that, I was able to do that for that person. I was able to do this for the church. I was able to buy this particular thing, those things. Then what that does 
and that brings that onto us. Now, there are times when we ask people to do, to give above and beyond, and those are called an offering. Sometimes offerings, we can trace that. We say, okay, that's an offering, that's above and beyond. And I was able to provide, you know, a, a kid to go to camp or, 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 or certain thing for the church, and that's fine. But what I'm talking about is just downright just giving to the Lord. Now, if you wanna give to the Lord, if you wanna sign up for this, we encourage you to do so. And so, on our website, lakepointonline.com, you can sign up for the 90-day Tithe Challenge. And so with this Tithe Challenge, uh, we're going to, if you sign up for it, for it, we're going to pray for you. Our prayer team and our staff are going to pray for you. Now, that staff and stuff, we're not gonna sit there and, and, and monitor what you give. It's not about that. It's about you just simply saying, you know, I'm going to sign up for this. I'm going to walk in the Lord in this. Now, that begins next Sunday. That begins July 1st. And so you can either go to our website, you can sign up there, or next week, you're gonna have an opportunity just to fill out a simple card and say, you know, yes, uh, I, I, I'm going to follow in this, or you know, I'm not sure about this, I have more questions, and feel free to do that. But it's, it would be great for you to let us know so we would be able to pray for you. And so I just feel like God is telling us as a church, look, you know, and I know money's a, money's a, 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 it's a tricky topic. But you know, God would never have put it in his word in something like that so strong for him to say, the only place in scripture, test me. And it all has to do with money. So I encourage you, test God. See what God wants to do because God wants to do great things in your life. And how do we return to him? We return to him by giving to the Lord. I know it's scary, but I just challenge you. And if you have any questions, feel free to talk to me because um, trust me, there's, you're not alone. You're not alone with the questions. And uh, so let's do this together, all right? Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we come before you. Lord, as we have opened up your word, you have challenged us on a topic that um, it's, it's pretty close to all our hearts because, Lord, uh, it, it deals with our treasure. <laughs> People don't like messing with their stuff and messing with their conveniences and the things that they enjoy. And I pray, Father, that you begin to ease the fears and to remind us, Lord, you just want our hearts. You don't need our money. You don't need our treasure. You just, you need our hearts. And so that's what you're trying to get. And I pray, Father, that you help us, Lord, to walk in that um, with a reckless abandon and to freely give to you as a cheerful giver and simply say, Lord, it's all yours. Help us, Lord, to manage the money as if it's not ours, but it's yours. And help us, Father, to grow in our faith over the next 30 days as we begin this journey starting next Sunday. In Jesus' name, amen and amen.